Welcome to a world of exploration, thought, and discussion, sequentially through 156 episodes of Rod Serling's seminal classic, The Twilight Zone. Welcome to Submitted for Your Approval. Hello, everyone, and welcome again to Submitted for Your Approval, a Twilight Zone podcast, a podcast where I remember the title of the podcast every time I say it uh, and don't stumble over any of those words. Uh, if you want to get a hold of the show real quick, Facebook.com, S4OA podcast, Instagram, Twitter, S4OA underscore podcast, email S4OA without the underscore podcast at gmail.com. And this episode and all that on apatheticenthusiasm.com. Woo! Uh, I will never repeat those things because that's not important. What's important today is my guest. Uh, she is the TV editor at IndieWire who's been writing for nearly 15 years, which is, God, that's a, that's a long time. Uh, she's been published on Roger Ebert, Forbes and Variety, big classic film fan, and one-third of the classic film podcast, Ticklish Business, and also a contributor to Rotten Tomatoes' first book, Rotten Movies We Love. Special warm welcome to Kristen Lopez. Hello. Hello. Thank you so much for inviting me to talk about Rod Serling in the Twilight Zone. No, no problem at all. I'm just, I'm so glad to, to have you. This has been two and a half years in the making. Um, <laughs> and so I, I'm, I'm finally glad to one, get my uh, shit together, uh, and two, to have you help me get my shit. Uh, yeah, I'm just glad to have you. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, good things uh, come to those who wait. And I mean, it took Rod Serling a couple times before he got the Twilight Zone off the ground. So, you know, we're a good company. That's 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 absolutely right. That's absolutely right. How how, how are things going for you today? Uh, they're they're pretty good. Uh, we talked off air. I was I'm working on a piece right now about the new Twilight Zone reboot. So I feel like my uh, world right now is very uh, awesome. I get to talk about the series. I get to write about this series in different ways. So a lot of fun. Yeah, that's 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 so cool to me. I, I think uh, maybe about uh, when the the uh, the reboot came out originally in the for, for the first season, um, I saw that you had pushed out some articles about it. I was like, Oh, that's, uh, Brandon, you really, you need to <laughs> co come back in, into the fold. And I actually, I asked you like, Hey, how do you even get screeners? Um, uh, which then you told me, and then I, I never actually followed through. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> that's such as my life. But, uh, this, the, the episode we're going to talk about today, uh, is, is the episode that when when I first reached out to you, you said, you know, it's you, you said either it's a good life or this episode. And <laughs> and this and and I was like, absolutely. I would I would love to have you on to talk about the the handsome man that that exists in here. Yeah, it's it's funny that I figured when you asked me that. The big ones that all been picked, maybe. So now it's like, oh, you know, you're talking Tina's and you're uh, to serve man's. Those have probably all been done before. So I didn't want to go for something obvious. And I do find it hilarious that I picked Little Bill Mummy versus Robert Redford. <laughs> well, yeah, well, but, well, Bill Mummy. I mean, he's you know, he's attractive, I think. <laughs> uh, no, I don't know. He was a child when, when he made that. So I don't know if we can say that in good context. Well, no, no. Now, um, nowadays. Nowadays. <laughs> but this, I mean, I think the Twilight Zone, you know, if we're talking about, you know, 
Thirst appeal, which <laughs> if you follow me on Twitter, kind of is always my thing. Um, the Twilight Zone had its fair share of, of good looking people on it, whether that's uh, obviously Robert Redford, uh, Cliff Robertson did two episodes. Yep, I yep. love him so much. Um, <laughs> Rod himself. I mean, there, there are a lot of uh, good looking cats on this show and I'm all for it. <laughs> yeah. I, I, uh, I, I know your, your love of Oscar Isaac. Uh, yes, it's, uh, it's alive and well and always present. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, that's that's where we go into it was the, it's the only episode Robert Redford is a part of. It's nothing in the dark. It originally aired January 2nd of 1961. It stars Robert Redford as Harold Belden, Gladys Cooper as Wanda Dunn and R.G. Oh, I, I had his name a second ago. Uh, oh, uh, R.G. Armstrong. Yes, thank you. He, he played the general in the beginning of Predator, which is a random random cut uh directed by lamont johnson and written by george clayton johnson uh so Kristen, getting in getting into this uh, we always like to play a game we all everybody everybody likes to play this game you me and imdb synopses where you give me a synopsis i give a synopsis and we compare it to the indomitable imdb writers who come up with this nonsense so with that in mind, oh, okay. Uh, you know, I I always give the guests the the go ahead. Uh, so if if you if you got if you want me to go first, I can go first. Yeah, otherwise, uh, I can I can go first. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so I mean, I would normally say the plot synopsis of this is sexy guy masquerading as death tries to convince old woman to go with him and. Why doesn't she right away? Um, but I'm going to go with something a little more serious um, and say that the the plot synopsis of this is uh, an old woman who is terrified of going outside because she believes death is coming for her, has to make a choice when uh, a wounded police officer ends up outside her door. All right. All right. Yeah, that's that's good. That's all. I do. I do like the I sexy try, guy. I try. I <laughs> try. I do like the sexy guy masquerades as death and why she doesn't go with him right away. I mean, we can talk about that in a second because it's pretty much the question I say every time I rewatch this episode. <laughs> uh, I mean, I would, I would be like, yeah, no, he's. Gonna... I think anybody with a pulse would. So, <laughs> uh, I I wrote, uh, you keep on knocking death, but you can't come in. Maybe that's also good question mark. <laughs> Uh, and then we compare it to IMDb, who says, who who says, I, I guess if IMDb is a person, an old woman has fought with death a thousand times and has always won. But now she finds herself afraid to let a wounded policeman in her door for fear he is Mr. Death. Is he? Question mark. Oh, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I think sexy guy still wins. Uh, yeah, I feel like I think feel like theirs was a little too wordy and almost sounded like an adventure. Like this is like a cool adventure story with like two people on the road. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like like th this old woman is always always has like uh, it, it's a superhero origin story where then she like she bangs the, the, the cabinet and some guns open up. Right. And then, you know, it's like she learns to live again type of thing. No, it's not. I, I'm going to go with mine. I'm biased, but I'm going with mine. Bi bias is all we have sometimes. And I'm 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 biased to agree with you. So <laughs> uh, 
if 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 the, those folks listening, if you agree, which I know you will, I mean, so technically you don't have to do this. Head out to Twitter and uh, tell me tell me as such. Nobody's done it so far yet, Kristen. By the way, but maybe it'll start today. <laughs> we'll change minds. <laughs> uh, so with with that in mind, let, let's get into the actual episode, uh, Kristen. What are some of your initial thoughts? You know, I've seen this episode several times, and I'm always fascinated by the episodes of The Twilight Zone that do deal with death in a weird way, because I feel like a lot of them are meant to be comforting views of, of death and the afterlife, which Rod Serling, if, if you've read about him, was definitely fascinated by that as somebody who had survived a war and had seen death firsthand. And, you know, there's I think there's something very comforting, whether it's this episode or even the episode that does have a more malevolent turn also has Bill Mummy in it. And I forget the title of it right now, um, where he's getting phone calls from his dead grandmother. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, um, oh, yeah. I that, can't remember the title one. of that one. But but even though that one's very you know malevolent at a certain point, it does present this kind of comforting message that the dead are still around. You know, that they can still call us up on the phone uh, and and chat with us. Obviously, Steven Spielberg and Toby Cooper would take that down some more disturbing roads with Poltergeist. But at the time, it was very charming. <laughs> and I feel like this is something similar. I think this is, if anything, more of a comforting view of death and dying than anything else. And that Gladys Cooper's character is so afraid of the unknown. She doesn't know what what's on the other side. and. The fact that you have a, a beautiful blonde Robert Redford shows up and has this eloquent speech and he's he's charming and that really death as we know it is not necessarily frightening. It's just another form of reality. And we can talk about the ending and how that plays out. But for me, I, I love these episodes because I think that without going into the machinations of organized religion, Rod Serling is making a comment about the afterlife that's that anybody can embrace regardless of what you believe. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely agree with that. Uh, just the, his, the, the, the calming presence of it where, uh, I, I think even in the dialogue, uh, Robert Rifford is just like, how, how can, how death happens everywhere? How can one man be, be it? Uh, obviously knowing that he is he is in fact death at this this point just being like that doesn't that that part doesn't necessarily matter uh the what the 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 process and then you know going into we'll get into the ending i guess i don't want to jump that far that that quickly but that it's you know it's not something to fear um in in and even uh rod's closing narration on that yeah, and and I think that you learn a lot about these characters. You know, this is an episode that takes place in one location. They do not leave the entire set uh, until the very, very end. And other characters come in. But this is almost like a play with, with Gladys Cooper and, and Robert Redford together for a majority episode. And you learn about who, who she is more than anything else. You learn that she used to be a beautiful young woman. She used to go outside all the time, but then she was told not to because it would ruin her looks. And there's that emphasis of the life unlived that that Gladys Cooper's character, Wanda, has not lived her life because of this belief that she needed to preserve being young for so long. And what has that really 
given her considering her circumstances at the end of her life. Yeah. Um, the, 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 the kind of thought of, of, of even that, like the, uh, the missing out or, or, or purposefully setting yourself up to, to miss out on, on what is life by locking yourself away from life. It seems to have been a big piece of this episode. Uh, so, so much so that she, uh, you know, she, when when people bring her groceries, uh, she tells them to leave it there, and then then goes goes out. Even uh, when I go out to the grocery store, when I when I'm not affected by a global pandemic, <laughs> there's there there's life experiences that happen even in even in that moment. I, I think there's not to get necessarily into the pandemic discussion, but you know, my I I have a wife, I have a son. And they don't go anywhere. And sometimes it's just it it it's an experience in itself to go outside and ride your bike around the block for 20 minutes to just be like, okay, there it is. There's something else out there. Exactly, exactly. And I think that that's what's so immediately noticeable about watching this episode today as we are doing sense of collective isolation um you feel for her character even without the death angle yeah yeah because i I, if if it's for example if the family leaves for a, a weekend or a couple weeks i don't know maybe i maybe i angered them uh <laughs> you know the the first like day or two of my existence by myself is like, okay, all right. Yeah. Ooh, adventure. Uh, but, but rapidly I'm like, no, I, I, this, this isn't, this isn't, this isn't enough for me. So I, 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 I feel for this woman who's purposefully again, put herself into this isolation, uh, where she wants contact, but she is also afraid of that contact, especially having seen, the uh the the existence of mr death yeah and i you notice immediately that when she meets um harold for the first time she says that you know death has taken many forms and it's people that are trying to supposedly help her and we don't know you know we don't know for a large majority of the episode if she's you know maybe just unnecessarily fearful or if death has been coming for her for a long time. And I think it, I think it makes us all cognizant of how we look at our own mentality is every decision we make because of free will or because we're, we're trying to avoid something or embrace, you know, death is this. So I feel like with, with uh, Wanda's character, you're constantly curious about whether Death has been hunting her all along. She's not particularly special, you know, in terms of just being an average old woman. But is there something more? Does she have a higher purpose? I think of that that Emily Dickinson poem about, you know, death waiting for her. And I feel like that's kind of writ large on this episode. Hmm. The, 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 the piece about... Uh, whether or not they've been waiting for her 
that or not not that they've been waiting for that but that this may have been uh robert redford's character uh, of of belden being the the actual first time that death has has ever showed up for her you know there's that there's that question uh he mentions when she's on the bus well when she's talking about the story on the bus and the man sits next to the older woman who and who drops the yarn uh and and that that man touches her and by the end of the bus stop, she's she's dead. And uh, Belden says, well, you said she was an old, old woman. Uh, qu- putting in the question, um, even with us, with the the, the knowledge now that, that he is death, putting in the question, well, was that ever was that ever death in the first place? And has she just um, punished herself uh by by doing this um, kind of prematurely, whereas at the end of this episode, this episode is death coming for her for the first time and being like, "Hey, I, all that other stuff that that wasn't that wasn't me. Uh, I am here now, though." Right, right. I, that's the thing that is is really really great about this episode is is how much you are forced to kind of think about the decisions that her characters made and in turn the decisions that your character, you know, that you as a person have made is, has she intentionally closed herself off from the world? Is she bemoaning this life that she didn't live for herself? And I think that's, it's so apparent too, when the building guy comes in and tells her, you know, the building's going to get torn down, you have to leave so even as she is, you know, a, a relic of an older time, we also see that society changes over time, that old buildings get torn down, things get changed, and she is this last holdout of almost like an older generation. And, yeah. I, you know, I don't know about, about you, but if you know anything about Gladys Cooper, she was uh, a prolific actress of both film and television i think going all the way back into the uh silent era back in the you know 1914 uh 1913 and she she always kind of played an old woman in you know stuff like that i had seen like the song of bernadette the bishop's wife and now voyager but i feel like rod is almost making a comment too about this transition of not just society and not just the elderly versus the young and the culture clash, but also about media and how, you know, the older actors are, are slowly feeling set adrift in this new media landscape. Yeah, that, that's, that, that's a good point, especially here in, in season three, uh, because the, the Buster Keaton episode once upon mm-hmm. a time is also in, in, in this season, right. Uh, in, in, in pulling Buster Keaton in, uh, specifically to do an episode where he is going back, uh, where he's in a, in a silent film and then gets transported into the modern, and I use quotes, modern era, uh, where everything's noisy and, and what what have you, um, goes back to what, what you're saying here is, you know, maybe he, there's a, uh, a through line throughout kind of his writing, especially in the season of, well, and I'll let you see, say like 16 millimeter shrine of folks who are, um, they're, they're part of a, a an, an older era, an older generation, and things are trying to move on, uh, without them or maybe not without them, but, um, not as, but not with them. 
if that makes sense. Not that as a word. Yeah, no, I, I I definitely think it does. And and that's really something that one of many themes that I think that doesn't get talked about enough when we talk about Ron Serling is his interest in filmmaking and and the concept of media. You know, Rod uh, Serling didn't do a whole lot with with film per se. He was predominantly television. And yet he has so many amazing episodes about specifically film stars coming back and, and feeling different and feeling out of place. I think of the one episode with Maggie McNamara as, as Bunny Blake and kind of her ability to have this higher purpose uh, and saving a town or, you know, you mentioned 16 millimeter shrine and, and bringing Ida Lupino and even just the concept of having Ida Lupino direct an episode. Yeah, um, right. which was was shocking at the time, and, and Lupino herself was a well known one of the few female directors of the studio era. So I, I almost it's very telling that he would call to earlier styles of filmmaking, even though this episode is not about film at all. Yeah, and I think that probably the term meta is 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 maybe thrown around uh too liberally sometimes but you know in a lot of these episodes especially when we're talking about kind of the act of filmmaking this kind of um this diegetic piece of uh filmmaking within an episode I don't know how often I saw that in 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 older media now now you one of the one of your expertises is is classic films right uh is is that is that true or is that just me being blinded by uh not having a full experience of, of <laughs> older older film i mean hollywood's always loved to talk about itself um you know they they always do and i feel like it's worth pointing out i don't know i don't know how, how much television did this in the early days of being self-referential but i think of something like 1952 singing in the rain which is kind of the classic de facto kind of looking at silent cinema as this outdated idea of technology and oh look at how much better talkies are and we know the stories about stars that whose careers were ruined by the advent of of sound and I feel like Rod Sterling isn't necessarily making that commentary, but he is talking about, I think, something that we still see in Hollywood today, especially with women, which is that once you hit a certain age, you know, you're not really seen in media at all. Um, yeah. You know, once you hit 50, 60, you know, you're someone's grandma, you're a character actress. And I feel like by putting Gladys Cooper in this movie or in this uh, episode, and I want to say that Gladys Cooper was in another, she was in multiple episodes of the Twilight Zone. She was in three, um, she, which she also did the um, episode Night Call, which is very similar to uh, some of the other death-based ones where she's getting phone calls from someone and you find out that the telephone wires have been cut and they're like stuck in a grave. And so somebody dead's been calling her. That was her last That's episode right. that she did. Um, right. yep. And, and I feel like he's making a more subtle con comparison, which is he's letting her be the lead of these episodes. And she would not have been a lead in film at this point in her career. And, you know, Sterling's giving a lot of these actors that second chance to be leading performers 
when Hollywood and by Hollywood, I say movies had kind of said that eh, you're, you're good. You know, you, you had a good run. Right, right, right. Yeah, you talk about uh, any any multiple episodes like that, right? Like uh, mm-hmm. uh, we already talked about uh, sixty millimeter shrine, uh, the the invaders, obviously, yeah. with Agnes Moorhead, um, and just g- giving giving a a voice and and a a, a platform uh, for these uh, for these women, these these older women who, by Hollywood standards, then and I would say. You know, even now we ha- we had we still have that issue, um, but but giving them that leading role and giving them that that place uh, in in the spotlight. Yeah, and that's that's I think what makes the Twilight Zone so beloved is that you know TV in the early days was often considered for a long time a place where celebrities went to die, so to speak. Um, you know, it was not, it was not very prestigious for, for several years. And the Twilight Zone makes, makes these actors prestigious in a time when they weren't. I mean, I, you know, watching episodes with friends who were classic film fans and they see a celebrity. here. Oh my gosh, I love Twilight Zone already, but this person's in it. So I love it even more. And it kind of has that, resurrection you know it, it the show takes on more more cachet because it had these a-list stars even though at the time they were not necessarily a-list stars no right 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 uh we just covered a quality of mercy and, and leonard nimoy is is an yeah. expert in the back you know uh, yeah which i i just i just was talking about that episode um considering how much i i love the movie uh the twilight zone movie uh, so, you know, it's, it's great to kind of see, and even in the Twilight Zone movie, you know, who they got for that was still kind of, re- was really cool. Cause you wouldn't necessarily get that today. No, no, absolutely. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Um, one, one, one thing, one thing I, I, I liked and I, I didn't, I didn't necessarily catch this and it goes back to that, that whole, uh, society rebuilding itself and, and, uh, generations rebuilding themselves was I didn't catch that the contractor or the the foreman or whatever uh, his 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 name is he was just in metaphorical means saying exactly what he he was he was doing death's work for explaining why things have to move on the way they they move on yeah um and and I I didn't catch that with uh, for some for some reason throughout my life until I, I was rewatching it this time and it was like it jumped out like oh well holy holy shit and like yes uh buildings get old you need in the i i am the person who it's a good thing i i tear them down and and it allows new new stuff to build up Gold, exactly gold yeah and i think that that's what makes robert redford's character so amazing in this episode is that the contractor and everybody who who kind of speaks to her that's not him is very harsh, very, uh, you know, it's, I don't want to say that they speak uneducated, but there's not an eloquence to it. And everything that Robert Redford says is just, A, it's beautifully written, and B, he's got this very soothing voice, everything's very calm, everything feels genuine. And you don't get that with the other char- the characters that do pop up in this episode. And I think that that also helps lull the audience. I mean, I don't know about you, but I knew right away from the minute I had the first time I saw this, not even knowing what the plot was. I mean, I knew that the minute she starts talking about death, that that was him. 
Um, I don't necessarily think there's a quote unquote twist in this episode. It's pretty easily deduced who he is. <laughs> yeah, no, what 100, 100%. Yeah, it, especially if you've seen any, I, I, I don't know, I, I have an, a generally easy time when I'm watching a movie just knowing how stories are are crafted like okay there's there's going to be um a a direction that this takes and there's a there's a resolution that has to happen out of all of this yeah and so if you're introducing a character then there has to be some kind of economy of that that character um so when i was a kid i didn't know this was anything but i was like oh obviously dad that's death you know yeah, and, and I mean, even that, even knowing the twist, you still are invested in it because of how Robert Redford makes you feel about the character. Right, right. And it, it, it's meant to give you sympathy for this character, no, no matter if, if you're uh, not convinced that it was death or not, just by everything that he, in his introduction, it's done to him. So the quote unquote gunshot that that takes him out right away. He's, he's helpless and he needs help. And that's different than the construction man breaking down the door and busting in, uh, very, very capable men. I also wonder too, how this episode would have been different had the Gladys Cooper character, not been a good person. I feel like that's in, integral to this mm. plot, very similar to the episode. Um, and I wish I kept remembering names, but I, I can't. <laughs> the episode that also deals with death in the afterlife um, with the guy and his dog, um, where, uh, you know, he yeah. can't go into heaven because the, they won't let his dog. In. And he says, well, I'm not going. Um, you, you care for that person because he's a good person. Here, it's something similar. Harold is, is hurt and she's a good person to know that she can't just leave him out there to die. Take some cajoling, but she doesn't <laughs> slam the door and pretend to not hear him for the rest of the episode. She does go out and is willing to make that sacrifice for somebody else. And I wonder how this episode would have been different if you didn't see her as a benevolent soul. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a great question. Um, cause Hmm. I don't, I don't even know what how that would affect things because would that would that make would that make death a uh a, a more ominous or kind of anta- antagonistic right. well i think that's the thing. thing is you know rod serling's this episode is not religious quote unquote it's not this isn't a christian death or a jewish death he is just death i think if you had had we've seen devilish characters on this series before but even then they're not tied into any one religion per se and i feel like here it is important that he's just death he's not god he's not the devil he is just the embodiment of death and i think that yeah by having her be a decent person he is able to judge her based on her her soul and her deeds and even though she's been afraid to go outside that doesn't make her a horrible human being so i think that it is i think that it does say something that yeah he is he is just death personified this is not religious and she is a good person because i feel like if death had shown up 
and she was an ass, like <laughs> he would have been like that contractor and just like drug her out. The point is not to <laughs> to scare her. It is to convince her that this is something she wants. Yeah, yeah. Like if 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 she was a if she was an asshole, contractor contractor death would be like, all right, come on, we're done, we're done here. I'm tearing this shit down, uh, and uh, your your body is 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 going to the ground. Come on. Yeah. Uh, but in, when instead, uh, the the other one is one for the angels, right? With um, <laughs> uh, with the the mayor from Jaws. Uh, we're, we're like again, it's like just a he's just a he's just a normal person, and he uh either gets suckered into um a a pitch for the angels, um and wants to tie wants a silk tie for some reason, or he's he's just he's just. This is a, a job for him, but with uh, with the the Gladys Cooper's character, you know he's he's much more sympathetic than even with a Bookman. Or was it Bookman? Oh, I forget. But um, yeah, I, I I got I got a little off track there. <laughs> but just the fact that he's 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 a he's a he's a in a, a person, right? Here's yeah there's there's a person there's a personability aspect of there uh where instead of like say final destination where death is 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 ever present but you never see it and and all you can sense is that yeah i'm just gonna die in, in awful miserable ways and this right. and that's how death acts right this is not i and I've, I've i've seen episodes that have looked at you know death throughout throughout media and yeah this is this is not tony todd in in Final Destination that definitely makes you believe that what's waiting for you is probably terrible, frightening. Like, who can be afraid of Robert Redford? He's so pretty. Um, <laughs> and I yes. think that that's, that's really an important thing. This was, this was kind of a game changer for Robert Redford. He had been, he had been making television shows uh, since the late 60s, but it wasn't until, uh, I think this is one of his probably earliest uh television roles that people know like most people know even if they haven't seen anything else they can they remember uh him in in this film or in this episode this was right before he kind of broke out doing um inside daisy clover in 1965 which is when his career in film really started to take off um but but here I mean, outside of the fact that he's Robert Redford and he's like <laughs> unholy beautiful, I don't know. Yeah. They don't make that. That that was made in the lab. Um, I, you will never convince me that he was grown in nature because he's just too pretty. Um, <laughs> but but I think that what makes his his Harold so important is that he's not a liar per se. You know, everything he could be telling her about his past is true. You know, you don't know how death works. Like. Death could be a guy named Harold Belden. Like that's that's the thing is that every, he conveys such earnestness and such genuine kindness because he understands that he is there to do something that has been kind of maligned for decades, uh, and he's kind of got to be the one to tell people like, no, not that bad. You, sh-, you know, it's it's kind of gotten a bad. Death has gotten a bad rap. You know, he's that guy who has to really undo a lot of of stigma associated with dying and i don't know who else you could have gotten other than robert i could never see anybody else playing this role no maybe uh maybe paul newman (laughs) i don't even think 
Paul Newman. I, I thought about that too, because I've been watching a lot of Paul Newman movies lately. And I think Paul Newman has more of a, of a benevolent, uh, of a malevolent element to him in yeah. some, in some ways. And the fact that Paul Newman is just like, Oozes sex appeal. I feel like this is Robert Redford is pretty asexual in this. Outside of looking like a Grecian god, he's he's not really offering anything other than like friendship. I feel like Newman would have too much swagger. <laughs> you want you want you want to look at death and you want to be like, yeah, that's a that's a beautiful that's a beautiful thing. Exactly. You don't want to look, you don't exactly. want to look at death and be like. Uh, how how can I have babies with you? Exactly, yeah. You look at Paul Newman's death and you'd be like, um, all of this is X-rated. I don't know what to say right now. So, yeah, it's like, it, it would be different. It's like having Chris Hemsworth now. You, you can't have that. It would just be bizarre. Um, yeah, the, the Twilight triple X zone. Is, is what <laughs> uh, give somebody time. They will come up with that. Um, but no, I, I think that it really does help to have somebody like Robert Redford, who was also relatively unknown. I think that is an added element. Somebody who was not a star at that time, that didn't have a persona that could kind of determine what you thought of them. Yeah. Uh, I, there's, there's been a few m- movies and, and, t- and TV shows where I thought, Oh, uh, I'll, I'll throw the wire out there. The wire to me uh, is, is such an effective show because there aren't, main well-known actors in it um and and there's there's other examples of this too of just they they if they were um you know if you had uh i, I don't know a brad pitt in a in a in the role of mcnulty the the main detective in in the wire i'd be like ah eh, now this is this is taking me out of it and it it would have distracted from the the message and the point of the stories that they're trying to tell um and so robert redford being a, a well an unknown back then i think absolutely uh uh raises the the, the episode beyond beyond uh star appeal necessarily exactly yeah well i think you need somebody who can say those ending lines without any artifice and i think that that's what works in in redford's favor because at the end when he explains to her that he to wanda that he is deaf and he's kind of created this ruse um you know he says um no there's no shock no engulfment no tearing asunder what you feared would come like an explosion is like a whisper what you thought was the end is the beginning and i feel like if you had anybody that had trying to make that like an Emmy moment. You know, I could just see that now. And and Redford just says it so sincerely and he's so gentle about it too. Yeah. It's like, it's like watching somebody, you know, somebody with kittens. You're just like, oh, um, it, it's comforting. I, I keep going back to that word. It's comforting. Yeah. And yeah, you, you need the right performer for that. And excellent point about the, the comforting, right? Because the, the whole, the whole point is that, death is comforting this old woman and the the point of the episode is you know i'm i'm sure a lot of folks who watch the episode i know i did like can imagine somebody in their their life who has passed away and you want to believe that the their their final moments are are ones of comfort right you know you 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 want to believe that and so the embodiment of death the personification of death in this case robert redford needs to have that that aspect of of real like assurance that you know it it is this isn't this isn't the end this is the beginning um 
and absolutely if it was somebody who was very bombastic and they're like no tearing asunder um then it would then it it negates the the message that was uh johnson was trying to convey in, in writing it exactly exactly well i think too that it's important to note that that last scene is harold and wanda going out into the sunlight there's this freedom I mean, obviously, the the transition from darkness into light is very telling, but there's this freedom of reality to it. I think for me, you know, as somebody who's kind of gone through their own existential crisis about death and dying, you know, I always tell people, like, I'd like it to just be like this, only without the bad stuff. (laughs) Um, You know, I think that that's also something that's, that's very subtly implied at the end of this episode is that. Harold and Wanda go out into the world and that world seems to look a lot like ours. You know, it's the outside, it's the street, people are walking, you don't know what's next, but it seems grounded in this reality that you understand. Uh, that's a, that's, yeah, that's a, that's a great way of, of thinking about it. Yeah. I, the, 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 the title itself, nothing in the dark and Rod's, closing narration there's nothing in the dark that's not there when the lights are on mm-hmm. you know, paraphrasing um and and they're go- they're going into the world which is hey this this is this is always there um and and now you're you're coming back into it in a in a in a, in a sense right right um i i i have a side question um he uh, in that in that final monologue, uh, Redford to um, Belden to Wanda, he's he reached he extends his hand and he says mother. Um, and that that's the only kind of that's the only moment in the episode that strikes me as 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 that he there's a personal aspect to it, but between the two characters. What, yeah, what you, I never understand that? that. I've seen that ep- this episode several times, and I'm never really sure if he's referring to her because there's no implication that she's ever had children. So right. I never get the the idea that she is actually his mother, or if it's just kind of the term of endearment for like you know how like uh, spouses in law, you know, sons or daughters in law call their mother mother in law mother. Um, I don't know what the connection is. And it always, it always takes me out of the episode a little bit. Hmm. I, I, I tried, I've caught it a couple of times and, and I've tried to piece it together and, and try to, to guess, rationalize what that actually, what that means in the, in the context. And, you know, I, I don't, I don't know if this is the same thing as again, uh, quality of mercy with Dean Stockwell, where all of a sudden he's uh, in Japanese makeup, uh, where where it's taking me out of the moment like that. But contextually, back then it wouldn't have been a problem. Uh, we're here; they're saying mother, and it's there. It's a context that I, I just don't understand because I'm only thirty seven, and this is in 1961. Or, or if that was meant to be something deeper and meant to mean something where maybe, you know, maybe she wasn't, a, maybe she wasn't a mother or maybe, she, maybe she was maybe something in the her past maybe uh, is there and there is that, that personal tie, but without any other context, it just, it forces us as the viewer to, to, to question and say, huh, what's that about? 
Right, right. It is that one little bit of like, I wish the episode maybe was a couple minutes long. So we could explain that or maybe just the line of dialogue. It always feels weird. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, what uh, are, are, are do you have, do you have any other kind of stray observations or, or any other thoughts that you, you had about the episode? No, I think we hit on everything. Well, so here's what I do. I, every, every, every episode we uh, go ahead and rate it in whichever rating scale that you choose. You can choose uh, hedgehogs. I've had hedgehogs be a rating scale before uh, stars, thumbs up, whatever, whatever, whatever you choose. What would you give this episode? five let's let's say because you know i gotta go with the critic uh thing uh this gets uh three out of five robert redfords all right three out of five redfords all right which i mean that's not terrible because it's still it's still a lot of redfords i think it's i think it's pretty good this is this is an episode that when i when they re-air it on like what is it fourth of july new year's when they do the big sci-fi yeah. thing i always make sure that i i rewatch it, it is in my my favorite all right all right uh i um i don't want to go too far away from you but i will give it three and a half red first okay uh, and well, maybe, maybe three Redfords and, um, maybe like an older Redford, <laughs> <laughs> really, like, a uh, what is a, uh, winter soldier Redford. I could work with that. Um, but yeah, cause, cause I, I, I agree. It's, it's, it's good. It, it speaks to me a little bit with the wanting death to be a, a, a calming influence and not something to be frightened of necessarily. Uh, so I, I, I give it the benefit of the doubt there. Now, last thing. Before we finish talking about the episode, it's choose your own adventure. Kristen, if you could change the ending to the episode, how would you how would you change it? What would you what would you do different? It could be silly, serious, your your oyster to open. Oh god, I'm trying to think of stuff that's perfect. Um, I I feel like, I feel like it would be great for, for us to see Harold and Wanda go out on the town and, you know, maybe go, go hang out (laughs) at a restaurant or or something. I just need to see people doing things that we can no longer do at the moment. (laughs) Without, without masks they're they, they, they go to AMC, which isn't bankrupt quite yet. And they, they catch them. They catch a. They catch a flick. Uh, I'm. I'm. I'm good with. I'm good with that. What. 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 What restaurant would they go to? Do you. Do you think? Oh, Let me gosh. just expand on it. You know, I'm. I'm always a fan of diners. So, I. I feel like you can't go wrong with the cheeseburger and fries. <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, do. Do they. Do they share a shake or do they? Separate shakes. They don't know each other that well, so. <laughs> uh, and separate shakes. I'm writing it down. Separate yes. shakes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe down, somewhere down the line, they they become you know, they become very close, and they're like, you know what? Remember that time I died, and then we got uh, cheeseburgers and fries, and then it becomes a whole thing. Uh. Which is it just which is very similar to the the crappy ending that I was going to come up with, which is uh, because I have no original thoughts. Basically, what happens at the end of this, right? Mister Death has some other business to take care of. Uh, he stops over at Bookman. Uh, Bookman makes him buy fancy ties. He's like, Ah, oh, damn it! <laughs> Great, 
that sucks. Uh, but then he then he then he moves on. He does some other odd jobs here and there. Uh, but then he ends up in the movie Meet Joe Black, and he <laughs> falls in love with with a woman, and uh, you know all kinds of zany z- zany events happen from that. So basically, this is a prequel. That. This is a prequel. I can support that. I'm all for it. Because, because really, let's let's think about this. Like, uh, other than the, the mayor from Jaws, uh, he's Robert Redford, and then he turns into Brad Pitt eventually. Like, it makes sense that he's still a. Beautiful it really person. does, especially if you've seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood when we when the comparison between uh, Robert Redford and Brad Pitt was being made. So it it works. I think it works. All right, all right. <laughs> I think I think we did it. You know, we we when, did when. <laughs> When CBS access all access comes back to us and they say, "Look, we need a sequel to Nothing in the Dark," they're going to reference this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, Kristen, thank you so much for for talking to me about Nothing in the Dark. I really appreciate that. Uh, but what I want to do now is I want to talk to you uh, about the things that, that you're doing. Now, I know you you you've done a lot of writing. You, you've uh, for for Slate uh, IndieWire. Um, and, uh, specifically you are heading towards 100 episodes of your podcast, Ticklish Business. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about Ticklish Business? Yeah. Ticklish Business is a a classic film podcast I've been doing for going on, uh, four years, which is shocking to say. Uh, we talk about, uh, classic films pre pre 1975 ish. Uh, there's a little wiggle room there. We have done episodes on the twilight zone as well as the twilight zone movie. Um, and we are doing our big road to 100 episodes, which is a pretty big deal for, for me and my co-hosts. So we've been fortunate to have a bunch of amazing guests on, including, you must remember, this is Karina Longworth. We have TCM host, Eddie Muller, um, we had James Mason's grandson, uh, James Duke Mason on, uh, it's been oh, great to kind of talk to, to these people about their love of classic cinema. So, uh, it's available wherever you get your podcast or you can do it, uh, listen to it direct to ticklishbusiness.poppy.com. We also have a Twitter, which is at ticklish underscore biz. And we have a Patreon, whereas if I don't have enough time, we, uh, <laughs> I do bonus shows, um, including one with uh, film critic William Bibiani called Based on a True Podcast, where we talk about how Hollywood talks about itself. We just did an episode on the Lindsay Lohan, Elizabeth Taylor made for TV movie Liz and Dick, which is uh, at patreon.com slash ticklishbiz. Uh, that, that, that's great. That's great. I, I, I was... You 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 made the joke about being so busy to do uh, Patreon pa- Patreon <laughs> stuff, and uh, I, I I was looking at your Patreon page earlier, and I was like, oh my gosh, she's she's doing so much writing, and she's doing these shows. I know it's and she's- it's insane. I am literally a crazy person. <laughs> <laughs> I I respect you and I admire you because that is, that is so much extra work and uh, to, to do, to do that and to do it for the, the folks who are listening to you. That that's, that's fantastic. What uh, on, on, on ticklish business, right? You, you started this and, and one of the big things is, is I know that you've gone to a lot of the, the TCM uh, festivals over <laughs> the years. Uh, what, what was your kind of draw to a uh, classic film and in uh, and, and why that was um, what that what spoke to you about that? Gosh, um, I mean, I've, I've always had classic film 
in you know everybody remembers seeing the Wizard of Oz for the first time and it was but it wasn't really until high school that I got into classics in a significant way in terms of really analyzing them and, and being interested in them and it was always just something I was really interested in the the elegance and the glamour of old stars and the way they talk and the the plots that necessarily would not work in our in our landscape. Um, and I was writing so much about contemporary features and I was like, I should talk more about classics, uh, because not a lot of people were at the, the time that I started, uh, writing about it. And when the podcast became a thing, so it's always been, kind of been my, my little niche. And I always say, you know, you can't talk about modern film unless you know where classic film, you know, you can't know where film is going unless you know where it's been. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, because I, I, I nowadays there 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 are more of these kind of classic film podcasts out there. Yeah, uh, it's it, it's amazing to see. I you know I know Karina has kind of become the poster child for for classic films. So she always sets a very high bar for for the rest right. of us. But it's amazing to see all the classic film podcasts that have popped up, and we're all focusing on different things. We have different connections and, and ways we want to talk about it so we haven't stepped on each other's toes uh which is great <laughs> yeah you know uh, you, you mentioned you mentioned all these all these podcasts that are talking about the essentially the, the same content but the how we um portray that 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 information and how we present it uh this is this is one of dozens of twilight zone podcasts out there uh so thank you for for choosing us as as, as, (laughs) at least one of them oh thank Uh, you for reaching out to me i i try not to uh i try not to ask uh on twitter you know i'm like i'm always i'll post the occasion like hey i like podcasting (laughs) nobody ever invites me so when you invited me i was like awesome so now i have to ask the other you know twilight zone podcast like why didn't you guys ask me first so I kind of feel uh, they suck in comparison because I've reached out. I'll uh, I'll I'll go ahead and, and berate them. I tried to <laughs> what, what I what I did when I when I started the show was uh, I was like okay let me let me talk about the Twilight Zone and then when others started popping up the very first feeling I felt was hey wait a minute this is my space um, you know very very immature way of looking at it and so to get away from that I said you know what let's let's reach out and let's invite more of those folks in to talk about it because we're all doing something different going back to classic film we're all doing something different with the Twilight Zone podcast and our personalities are different and what we bring to uh, the 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 stage is, is different um, and so I reached out to them. So I know a lot of them, and so I will all berate them for for not inviting <laughs> you onto their shows. I appreciate it. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, um, is is there anything else you want to to bring up about ticklish business or or any other other uh, magnificent things you're writing? Oh no, I think that's it. Okay. All right. Well, uh, for those listening, I'm going to have some links out there uh, to to articles that Kristen's written. Uh, I'm going to have the ticklish business links out there. You're going to find it all on apatheticenthusiasm.com, uh, which uh, it's it's always there. It's always there. You can find it if you want to Google it. it doesn't matter. Uh, but Kristen, thank you so much for for coming on. Uh, it really means a lot to me. And uh, when when we went through this this burnout period of mine and and I, I we kept kind of prolonging you coming onto the show i kept reaching out and being like type typing up the message to be like <laughs> oh god I, I hope she's still interested and i hope i didn't uh scare her off with 
uh, the the time and space. So I really, really appreciate you coming on here. It was a blast. And hopefully you'll come on again sometime. Yeah, anytime. I'm always, maybe we'll talk about Bill Mooney next time and give him his due. <laughs> Look, he as an older person, you know, he's 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 okay looking. And he's a rock star. <laughs> oh, there there are two Cliff Robertson episodes, and I am the weird Cliff Robertson fangirl. So, you know. <laughs> uh and that's why you watched Spider-Man, the Sam Raimi one, just no, over and I, over again. You know, I had not seen that, and then I Googled it and uh I finally saw the clip and I I, okay, so let's just keep Cliff Robertson at like 1970, <laughs> and then I'm just going to assume nothing changed. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah, you 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 got it. I'm I'm on it. 